Welcome back, everybody. Uh, another episode of the Make Me Sick uh, podcast, typically dedicated to pathogenic microorganisms. Today, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a non-organism that'll make you sick. Uh, we're actually going to be doing some heavy metal toxicity. Excellent. Uh, initially, kind of want to do just a an just overview of heavy metals, but uh, the more I get into it, there were two that really stood out, two that kind of caused a little more damage that uh, were a little more significant than the others, and those are arsenic and lead. So today's episode will be based uh, on the arsenic toxicity, and then we'll do some lead toxicity on my next podcast. Before I get into this, I uh, just wanted to take a second to touch on the recent outbreaks that have been in the news. Uh, the most significant one is definitely the Marburg outbreak in Africa. Uh, Equatorial Guinea, Cameroon, and then a separate outbreak in Tanzania. The uh, latest information I could find for Equatorial Guinea, they had had, I believe, 14 confirmed cases with 10 deaths. Uh, possibly more than that have been underreported. As far as Tanzania, not quite as much information coming out of there. Initially, there were, I believe, 8 confirmed cases and 5 deaths. So it just shows the the mortality rate of these hemorrhagic viruses. For those who haven't listened to our podcast on hemorrhagic viruses uh, for Ebola and Marburg, uh, we do have a podcast on that, so uh, please feel free to listen to that. Uh, Not really anything to be super worried about as far as any kind of pandemic or even epidemic with these. They do spread uh, fairly easily. They're through contact, though. You have to have uh, contact with bodily secretions. The problem is in a lot of these, uh, a lot of these countries that don't have higher levels of care or uh, their healthcare system isn't quite um, as adequate. They don't have the proper PPE, so a lot of times the healthcare providers are actually subjected to these viruses. In fact, I think one of the cases in, I think it was Tanzania, was a healthcare worker that contracted the illness and died. But still something to keep an eye on. Uh, They can get out of control depending on where they occur, if they're in population-dense areas. And I believe that the largest city in Equatorial Guinea, they had actually found a couple of cases that had links to that city. So uh, something to keep an eye on. We'll keep you updated. Uh, As always, you can go to our Twitter. Uh, Twitter handle is uh, MakeMeSickPod. Post updates on there as well, um, along with uh, other interesting uh, microbiology and pathogenic kind of pathogenic microorganism news, uh, and sometimes I throw some other weird stuff on there too. But uh, anyway, uh, today we are talking about arsenic. So heavy metals in general, what are heavy metals? So they're kind of defined differently uh, depending on who you talk to. As far as in uh, healthcare, uh, they're actually naturally occurring substances that can accumulate and cause damage to the environment and living beings such as human beings. Uh, they also include substances which are known as semi-metals or metalloids, which arsenic is one of those. Uh, these can have the same kind of uh, detrimental effects on the body. So how are humans exposed to these? Uh, so they can inhale them, they can ingest them, contact with the skin. Uh, from environmental pollution, uh, this is contamination of the air, water, sewage, seawater, uh, any kind of waterway. Uh, It can also accumulate in plants and crops, can end up in foods, uh, can end up in meat, and this kind of indirectly affects us as well, uh, depending on what you're consuming. Uh, 
Some elements like arsenic, uh, they share the properties of both these metals and non-metals, and these are kind of known as semi-metals, or as I mentioned before, metalloids. Uh, these are part of a heavy metal uh, family, just due to the toxic effects uh, they similarly share with these other heavy metals. There is kind of a, a common list of non-essential heavy metals. These are ones that don't actually naturally occur in the body, uh, and these are the ones that usually cause the most toxicity. Uh, these are arsenic, cadmium, lead, and mercury. And then there's some heavy metals that actually occur naturally in the body. Uh, our cells actually need them uh, to produce uh, just at a biochemical level. But uh, overabundance of these can cause damage. Uh, those are cobalt and copper, chromium, iron, manganese, molybdenum, nickel, uh, selenium, and zinc. So uh, you've probably heard of many of those. If you look at the, you take a multivitamin and look at the back of your multivitamin bottle, you'll probably find a lot of those in your multivites as well. So still pretty important uh, for cellular activities, but uh, if you get too much of them, they can be toxic. So with heavy metals, what is it exactly that causes this toxicity? So with heavy metals, they have a these things called free radicals. So free ra what are free radicals? You hear this a lot uh, in commercials, supplements, uh, antioxidants will take care of free radicals, blah, blah, blah. So uh, free radicals or reactive oxygen species, uh, ROSs, not to be confused with R-U-S-S, R-U-S from Princess Bride. Anyway, these are a type of unstable molecule. Uh, they're actually made as a byproduct sometimes just of normal cellular metabolism. Uh, they kind of occur when you have these cellular reactions. It's a byproduct of these chemicals. Uh, and your body typically with antioxidants will help to neutralize these. Uh, free radicals though, they can build up in the cell over time. And if you don't have enough antioxidants or if your body is, uh, if you're making too many of these free radicals, they can actually damage the cells. Uh, these cells, uh, the damage can either be DNA damage where it impairs DNA repair. Uh, they can actually cause cellular death uh, there's something called peroxidation, uh, which it, the cell membranes, the, the fats and the lipids on the cells, those get damaged. Uh, it can cause inactivation of certain proteins. Uh, it can prevent proteins from folding correctly, which can uh, cause either cell death or mutation. Uh, it can cause protein aggregation, which is also a problem. And then it can uh, cause conformational changes. It'll actually affect the structure and the function uh, and may cause certain cancers as well. So with these free radicals, this is essentially these metalloids and these heavy metals get into the body. They produce these free radicals or they just through chemical reactions or it's part of the body's when they uptake uh, these heavy metals. Uh, these free radicals are introduced. Depending on the amount of these free radicals and the amount of toxicity from the heavy metal that has been introduced into the body, that's when you start to have these deleterious effects. You start to see breakdown of cellular function. And depending on how it was ingested, uh, whether it was uh, through water, through food, uh, sometimes on the skin, or even sometimes inhaled, that's where you'll really start to see the effects take place. So with arsenic, our old friend arsenic, so what exactly is arsenic? So as I mentioned before, it's a naturally occurring metalloid element. Uh, it is everywhere. So it's everywhere in the Earth's crust and in the groundwater. And that's actually where it presents the biggest problem is in water. Uh, it can also be found in lower levels in the air and sometimes in food products, mostly in crustaceans and seafood. But uh, as I'll mention probably a couple of different times, the 
The arsenic that you find in foods, especially in seafood, is relatively low toxicity. It's actually uh, in its inorganic form, uh, which is uh, very low. You have to really consume a lot of it for it to become an issue. Arsenic is uh, nearly tasteless and odorless. It does come in three different forms. So there's inorganic, and it's considered a salt. Inorganic salt, uh, inorganic salt, and then it comes in a gaseous form as well, which is the most dangerous. Arsenic, uh, it's released into the environment through many different ways. So there's through weathering, through mining processes. Naturally, it happens a volcanic activity can release arsenic. As far as kind of in, from an industrial standpoint, it's used in metallurgy a lot. Uh, it's actually it's not used, but it's a byproduct of metallurgy uh, in smelting. Smelting gold and lead, cobalt, nickel, and zinc will release arsenic. It used to be used a lot in herbicides, uh, in treated wood products, and then in a lot of traditional holistic remedies. Uh, you find a lot of arsenic poisoning sometimes related to kind of homeopathic treatments for things. Uh, it's also been used in the distillation of beer, wine, and whiskey. And then uh, today, in today's world, uh, arsine gas is actually still used quite commonly uh, in the production of semiconductors and lasers, light-emitting diodes, photoelectric chemical cells, and in microwave devices. Uh, it's also still used in the processing of glass, uh, for pigments, for textiles, for papers, metal adhesives, and uh, also in ammunition. It's also used in, uh, in a hide tanning process, for those of you who are hide tanning these days. Also used in some pesticides still. Uh, it's found in some feed additives and in some pharmaceuticals, uh, especially for treating cancers. I believe there's chemotherapy that will actually use arsenic, uh, which isn't surprising because the whole purpose of chemotherapy is to destroy the cell. So. People who smoke, uh, people who smoke can also be exposed to arsenic just from the tobacco plants. So tobacco plants naturally uptake arsenic into their leaves. Uh, that is turned into cigarettes. So the cigarette companies aren't adding arsenic to the cigarettes, but uh, it's usually from the uptake from the plants. Less so today than it used to be. Uh, they used to treat uh, a lot of the plants with pesticides that had lead arsenate insecticide on it. Uh, so the, the, the arsenic level in your cigarettes probably a little bit less than it used to be. So uh, smoke them if you got them. So what about arsenic poisoning, right? So arsenic poisoning, right now it's actually a global health issue. Uh, it affects millions of people and it's usually through uh, water exposure. Uh, environmental and occupational exposure, definitely uh, the environmental more than occupational. Uh, there are also, as far as arsenic poison goes, and we'll touch on a little bit, uh, there are intentional suicide attempts with it, and then there are also homicide attempts. You probably hear more about arsenic poisoning uh, from these homicide attempts, even though they're not that common. But when, I think when people think of arsenic, that's kind of what they think of, uh, is people that, you know, either murdering someone or someone committing suicide by trying to ingest arsenic. Uh, but the reality of it is most of these deaths from arsenic uh, come from uh, groundwater exposure. Uh, this contaminated drinking water, uh, so how is it uh, contaminated, right? So this is really just through erosion of land sources. Uh, this kind of contaminates wells and other water sources, and it's found abundantly around the world. Uh, this inorganic arsenic, so of the three that I talked about, there's the inorganic and the organic, and then you have the gaseous form. 
So the two that are that are solids, the two salts, the inorganic and uh, organic form. Uh, inorganic is the more toxic of the two, uh, and this is in really high levels in groundwater in a number of different countries: uh, Argentina, Bangladesh, Cambodia, Chile, China, India, Mexico, Pakistan. Vietnam, and even here in the United States, you can actually find high levels of arsenic in groundwater in certain places. And if you look at the, you know, just how many people it affects, you know, a lot of those countries that I mentioned, especially China and India, just vast populations there. Drinking water, crops, uh, anything that's been irrigated with contaminated water, uh, food that's prepared with this contaminated water, all this stuff uh, people are going to be consuming. And that's kind of how a lot of this arsenic uh, toxicity is introduced into the body. Uh, as I mentioned before, certain foods like fish, shellfish, uh, even meat, poultry, and dairy products, those are dietary sources of arsenic, but usually uh, it's found in inorganic form, I'm sorry, the organic form, uh, especially in the fish and shellfish, so it's a much lower level of toxicity than you find in the actual drinking water. So let's talk just a little bit about uh, this groundwater toxicity. So I told you that you know widespread area, a lot of people are affected by it. So per the WHO, there's an estimated 140 million people in about 70 countries that have water that are drinking water contaminated with arsenic at toxic levels. Um, that doesn't even cover the 220 million people who are at risk for exposure to our, to these levels. So we're talking a lot of people here. Um, the WHO's provisional guideline for you know, what is considered toxic is 10 micrograms per liter of water of arsenic. So it's a very, very small amount. That's, uh, now, I think it's 10 parts per billion is essentially what they're looking at. Uh, as I said, currently there's about was it 94 to 220 million people who are actually at risk of exposure of levels greater than that in the groundwater. So a while ago, back in 2010, there was actually a, a committee. This is the GECFA, which stands for the Joint Expert Committee on Food Additives. Uh, this is the WHO, and I can't remember who else it was involved with it. But they sat there and they kind of reevaluated the effects of arsenic on human, just on human health in general, uh, taking new data into account. And this has kind of sparked a push just for trying to get cleaner drinking water worldwide. Um, they did conclude that uh, for certain regions of the world, uh, they were trying to look and see exactly how much arsenic was in uh, water levels and how much that led to either illness or death. So what they had found is that uh, for certain regions of the world where they had concentrations of arsenic in the drinking water that exceeded 50 to 100 micrograms per liter, there is evidence of adverse effects. Uh, in other areas, that they looked at where the levels were between 10 and 50 micrograms per liter. It was concluded while well, there's a possibility of adverse effects that it would be a really low incidence and it wouldn't really be enough to affect any kind of epidemiological studies. And I think this is where they're basing their 10 parts per million on is the fact that even 10 to 50, so even five times that, they're not really finding many adverse effects. So they consider anything you know 10 or less that is safe to drink. But uh, they were still finding a lot of places that had 50 to 100 micrograms per liter. So what if you live in one of these places? What if you've been drinking this water for a while? What if you start to get sick? What are the signs and symptoms that you might have of arsenic toxicity? So it kind of varies between population groups and geographical areas. 
due to this, there's not really a universal definition for like the signs and symptoms if you're looking for it. Uh, as a medical provider, there's probably a lot of differential diagnosis you can find. Uh, it complicates things too, just because you can't really have, you know, it's narrowing it down. Uh, someone especially who's chronically exposed to it, it might be one of the last things you actually look for. It also kind of uh, complicates the assessment on the overall burden of health from these areas, uh, especially for prolonged exposure can cause cancers, but it's really kind of hard to determine, you know, how much of the cancer was caused by this arsenic toxicity, excuse me, and uh, other factors as well. So it kind of sucks with the signs and symptoms, um, what you're looking for. But that being said, um, it's estimated that about uh, 60 to 90% of this inorganic arsenic is actually absorbed through the GI tract. So that's where you're going to start to see the majority of those symptoms. Uh, you're going to start to see kind of a gastroenteritis and a lot of diarrhea to start with, sometimes bloody. Uh, that initial distribution, you're also going to see go to the liver, the kidneys, um, kind of muscle fibers, and sometimes on the skin. Sometimes respiratory routes are involved, not uh, that common though. As far as for the skin, some of the signs that you might see, signs and symptoms, uh, it, uh, it is poorly absorbed by the skin, so you're not going to see high levels of toxicity. You're not acute toxicity anyway, but there uh, are definitely uh, signs and symptoms that you can see of skin exposure. Um, it should be noted that kind of washing with soap and water is recommended uh, if you're in one of these areas that has these levels of high arsenic. That'll actually negate any of the effects of it. Um, so, let's see, let's get back, sorry, let's get back to signs and symptoms here. <laughs> uh, so with the skin, you might see like a teardrop effect with a lightening of the skin and darkening of the skin. Uh, in the nail beds, you might actually see something called Mies lines, uh, M-E-E-S. These are actually kind of transverse white lines that'll go across the nails. That's kind of a, a sign of arsenic poisoning. So if you haven't been feeling well for a while and you're not getting along with a significant other and you start to see these lines develop on your fingers, you might want to get tested for, uh, for arsenic. Um, GI symptoms, as I said, gastroenteritis is the most common symptom. Uh, usually doses under five milligrams of arsenic will result in uh, nausea and vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal pain. Uh, Symptoms can happen minutes to hours after ingestion, but they usually resolve within about 12 hours, depending on how much uh, arsenic you ingested. But sometimes they can persist for days after exposure. Uh, the diarrhea that you get uh, is kind of described as a rice water or cholera-like diarrhea, uh, sometimes bloody. It also has an effect on the gastrointestinal mucosa. So this leads to kind of vasodilation, so the cells, so the uh, vessels kind of opening up and then also sloughing of mucosal tissue, and that's probably where some of that bleeding comes from. So this will kind of lead to hypotension, so a drop in blood pressure. And this is actually related to uh, dehydration, just from water loss from the diarrhea, and volume loss if you end up having bleeding as well. And this is actually kind of another hallmark characteristic of arsenic poison, is you have these GI symptoms, and then this profound hypotension afterwards. There are EKG abnormalities that you might find. It does affect the heart. Uh, this can happen hours to days after exposure. Uh, for those of us who are, if you're a medical professional, you might understand some of this. If not, I'll try and do my best to explain it. But there's QTC prolongation, QRS lengthening. There are nonspecific ST changes. There's T-wave flattening. Uh, and you can get, uh, so anytime you're, 
you start to have this widening of your your kind of heart rate your your electrical activity you run the risk of having these dangerous heartbeats dangerous arrhythmias uh, there's one called torsades to points which literally means turning of the points and this is a really dangerous one this is usually right before you either cardiac arrest or you are cardiac arresting uh, so it can be very dangerous if not treated something to look out for in arsenic toxicity for uh, respiratory stuff there might be a cough shortness of breath um, this is more common with those inhalation injuries you can also have a, a non-cardiogenic pulmonary edema so it's essentially fluid buildup in the lungs uh, and this kind of happens when you have this increased it's called capillary permeability or kind of leaking of your capillaries so fluid kind of builds up where it shouldn't be building up in the lung as far as for your kidneys uh, you might see protein in blood in the urine, uh, and then you might actually have kidney failure that may occur, you know, either hours or days after exposure. There are also neurological symptoms that are kind of unique. Uh, this usually happens not acutely, uh, unless you're having, unless you took a huge dose, you might see seizures and uh, altered mental status. But this usually occurs weeks after exposure. Uh, there's a subacute phase of a one to three weeks after uh, exposure uh, to toxic levels of arsenic. These mainly are reversible, um, but there's a like sensorimotor polyneuropathy, so uh, kind of numbness uh, of the digits. This is usually seen one to three weeks after acute exposure, um, but it can happen with chronic exposure as well. There's also something called uh, diesthesia which is a sensation of touch is distorted. I think I pronounced it diet. Diastheseus. So it's a tough one. Uh, anyway, this is where touch is it, kind of distorted. So it, it occurs in what they call a stocking and glove distribution. So it almost feels like you're wearing socks and gloves on your hands, but you're not. So your sensation is just all messed up. Uh, kind of feels like, uh, you know, you don't really have that fine motor senses. This usually starts with the soles of the feet, and it can actually be ascending and go up the entire leg and affect the, the upper extremities as well. In severe toxicity, uh, clinicians, uh, I guess that there is kind of a, they have noted deep tendon reflexes being affected by it, uh, temperature cessation kind of being affected, and then just weakness and gait disturbances while trying to move around. There's also reports of headaches, confusion, memory loss, um, seizures, as I mentioned before, impossible delirium, depending on how acute the toxicity is. Uh, there's also kind of a variety of hematological abnormalities that can happen, so issues with your white and, blood, white and red blood cells. Um, you can have reduced white blood cell count, uh, destruction of uh, some of your clotting cells, you can have anemia, so loss of red blood cells. And you can also have something called hemolytic anemia, which is literally destruction of red blood cells causing um, this lack of, of, of blood. For long-term exposure, uh, chronic toxicity, which there are a lot of cases of that as well, uh, you might see different signs and symptoms. Um, as I mentioned before, kind of dermatologically, there's some issues. You might have that raindrop appearance. Um, this is usually six months to three years after exposure. So uh, knees lines, I mentioned that. That's about 5% of patients happens there. Uh, other issues, you might have like a palmar plantar, it's called the hyperkeratosis. So it's just a thickening of the skin on the palms and the soles of the feet. Uh, you might have some kind of 
eczema lesions, some warts, or even alopecia. Arsenic exposure actually uh, has links to basal cell carcinomas as well, and squamous cell carcinomas. So, and these are usually secondary to that thickening of the skin. So, uh, a lot of issues with skin cancers. You also find uh, skin cancer in areas that uh, you might not normally, so it's real sunless exposure. Usually you think of skin cancer, uh, melanomas especially, are found in areas that have high exposure to UV. Uh, but a lot of times the skin cancer, as I said, palms and soles of the feet where you have that thickening of the skin, and I guess the abdomen as well, they find cancers uh, related to arsenic. Lung and bladder cancer have also had correlations uh, with ar arsenic toxicity as well. Uh, in the liver, there are also links to liver cancer, uh, liver enlargement, and then just kind of non-specific abdominal pain from it. Uh, there is also, I guess in, uh, in Taiwan, they've had uh, cases called Blackfoot disease, and it's actually a type of gangrene from contaminated drinking water with arsenic as well. But uh, from what I could find, that was just mainly in Taiwan. Uh, these symptoms, obviously, as I said, inorganic arsenic uh, is where you're going to find most of that from the toxicity. Uh, and I will kind of, I think I have it, uh, let's see. No, I, I thought I had uh, the exact levels needed to cause these kind of acute versus chronic illness, but uh, I don't have it right in front of me. I will try and find that by the end, though. Anyway, so that's kind of a lot of... Uh, exposure from contaminated drinking water or if you just have acute exposure that's kind of what you're looking for for signs and symptoms uh, that's with uh, arsenic in its solid form so as a salt so what about arsine gas so this is the real nasty stuff so it's the most toxic form of arsenic um, inhalation of 10 parts per million so not very many is actually lethal at concentrations higher than 25 parts per million, you're lethal in uh, less than an hour after exposure. And then if you're exposed to over 250 parts per million, you instantaneously die. So I don't know, I'm not sure how they got these numbers exactly, but uh, somehow, somebody or something, maybe they use pigs, I don't know. Somebody had to be exposed to that level of arsenic gas to kind of figure that out. But uh, pretty nasty. Uh, arsine gas, it's colorless, it's nearly odorless. Uh, it doesn't produce any kind of tissue irritation, so due to that, you may inhale arsenic gas and not even know it uh, until you are either dead or about to die. Uh, there are symptoms, though, once you have uh, this arsenic gas toxicity. You might have a garlic breath odor, uh, headache, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, chest pain, loss of balance. You might have a tachycardia, so a fast heart rate. You might get a fever. Uh, kidney failure, and this stuff all usually happens like 1 to 12 hours after exposure. If you are lucky enough to still be alive, uh, 4 hours to 48 hours after exposure, uh, your kidneys might start to fail. You might start to see like a port wine colored urine, so some blood tinged urine. Uh, your conjunctiva might be stained red, and you might become jaundiced uh, just from your liver. As far as physical examination, say you're a healthcare provider and you're suspecting that maybe this person got, a, you know, they were known to be exposed to arsenic or they may have been. Uh, there are certain things to look for. Um, 
liver and spleen tenderness might be there. Uh, as far as, like I said, with the heart, you want to hook them up to a EKG monitor or an EKG in and of itself just to get a 12 lead EKG. Uh, some of the obvious signs of the skin that we talked about, the Mies lines, um, possible raindrop effect that they had. Uh, I'll go into it in a, as far as the evaluation goes in a little bit here, the more in-depth evaluation. I do want to touch on just kind of the pathophysiology uh, of how this happens. So we had talked about how free radicals kind of affect uh, certain cells and how those cells, uh, if those cells die or don't work correctly, they will have an effect on the body's metabolism and that in and of itself can cause cellular death and lead to all these ailments. When arsenic enters into the body, uh, it gets into the cell, it actually reacts with glucose and it can form a substance called glucose 6-arsenate. This glucose 6-arsenate actually closely resembles a naturally occurring compound in the body called glucose 6-phosphate. Uh, glucose 6-phosphate, it's kind of responsible in the process called glycolysis, which essentially breaks down sugars in the body. These sugars are what help uh, release energy into the cells. So when glucose 6-arsenate is introduced, it kind of takes the place of this glucose 6-phosphate and it actually inhibits this glycolysis process. So no longer is, you know, is the body releasing sugar to these cells. So when this builds up over time, you end up having uh, cells not needing the energy that they have. It can lead to cellular death. Uh, another issue with arsenate uh, when it gets into the body uh, is that it messes with the body's ATP. So uh, ATP, as we talked about in a prior podcast, is really important. Uh, it's what they call the powerhouse of the cell. It really provides a lot of energy uh, for cells and just, uh, just cellular mechanisms in general. But what happens is uh, because arsenate uh, enters in, kind of takes a place of this phosphate, uh, you wind up having these cells not being able to produce ATP. Uh, depletion of ATP ends up just kind of completely junking up the works. You're not able to provide the energy to the cells that they need. Very similarly to the prior process that we talked about where it provides sugar to the cells. When you don't have ATP to power these cells, these cells all end up dying. Uh, that's the arsenate. So arsenate is actually uh, not quite as toxic as arsenite. So arsenite, which is the other compound here, is considered to be the more toxic inorganic form uh, just compared to the arsenate form. Arsenite uh, also reacts just with major organic compounds in the body, uh, can affect multiple proteins and enzymes found all the way throughout the body. And when it ends up uh, reacting with a lot of these enzymes and proteins, it just causes complete dysregulation and inhibition of a lot of the proteins involved. Uh, one of these is something called pyruvate dehydrogenase. So pyruvate dehydrogenase, it's a, a vital enzyme. There's something called the citric acid cycle. Uh, and this also leads to the interruption of that kind of cellular respiration process and the production of ATP. So as I mentioned before, if your cells aren't getting the ATP they need, you're not going to have the energy for these cells to, to really do their functions correctly and can even lead to cell death. Uh, arsenate also leads to kind of dilation uh, and as well as increased permeability of capillaries. So this leads to loss of all kinds of intracellular fluid. You have that fluid leak. It can also lead to kind of those drops in blood pressure as well. Um, and these kind of fluid volume uh, issues that you have in the body that happen with this arsenic toxicity. With regard to cancers, um, 
arsenic in cancer's mechanism really isn't known uh, as far as the carcinogenic, effect, carcinogenic effects of arsenic. There are theories for this as well. Um, there are theories that arsenic gets in there and really kind of messes with the DNA. The DNA. Uh, alteration of DNA, DNA repair, um, DNA oxidative stress. So once again, those free radicals cause kind of this you know, oxidative stress. Uh, and this can lead to that, uh, that genotoxicity, uh, mutations, and then cancers. Uh, those are the kind of the, the solid form of arsenic. As far as arsenic gas and how arsenic gas just kind of affects this, uh, affects the body. Arsene gas uh, toxicity. This is primarily what they call, or what we call, a, a hemolytic agent. So it just destroys red blood cells. Um, this exact mechanism also is not completely well known, not fully understood. The theory for arsine gas, though, is after, after it's absorbed into the lungs, uh, the arsine enters the red blood cells um, and the cells are destroyed. Uh, the transport and binding of iron are also interrupted here, uh, which can also really affect oxygen delivery. Uh, the hemolytic activity, uh, it may be related again to this oxidative stress uh, from those free radicals. This just kind of overwhelms the antioxidant system when the body can't really, doesn't have enough uh, of those antioxidants to regulate this. And this leads to just rapid um, denaturation of the proteins and a lot of just uh, cellular death and destruction. So what if, uh, you know, what if you've been exposed to arsenic, you know, you're still alive, you're not dying, like how long before you start to feel better? So it might be a little bit. So excretion of arsenic, actually, it happens through the kidneys. Uh, and inorganic arsenic is actually eliminated pretty slowly. It's only about 30% within the first week. So it can be weeks, you know, to you know, even longer than that before you really start to fully uh, get back to a point where the arsenic is completely leaving your body. Um, we talked earlier about the signs and the symptoms. And as I said, if you're a clinician, just things to look for. Uh, if you have anybody that obviously has been exposed and they know about it from occupational hazards or they're suspected or they live in one of these areas that's uh, endemic for the, you know, levels of water that is toxic, um, you should always kind of have a high level of suspicion. Uh, you know, anybody with uh, gastroenteritis, peripheral neuropathy, that, you know, those hyperpigmentations, uh, all signs of chronic exposure. Um, Anybody who has like a known or suspected toxicity should definitely, uh, most should be admitted to an ICU um, and certain tests to order. Uh, they should definitely do so what's called a 24 hour urine collection. So this is, we actually have jugs. You keep this in, you keep it by the bedside. I was always taught keep it in ice so the proteins don't denature, but some people don't. Uh, either way, over 24 hours, you collect urine, you send it off to the lab, and you can look at uh, parts per million of how much uh, arsenic is in the urine. Uh, they do have arsenic exposures actually confirmed at a level of 50 micrograms per liter, or over 100 micrograms of total arsenic. Uh, in an acute exposure, so someone that's been exposed to a lot of arsenic real quickly, uh, these 24-hour urine levels usually exceed several thousand micrograms. So you should know pretty quickly uh, whether or not someone's been exposed to a large amount. You can do spot urine checks as well. Um, these will typically also exceed over a thousand micrograms for those acute cases. Uh, without treatment, like I said, it can take a few weeks for people to turn, just kind of uh, get back to normal, depending on the exposure and depending on if they've had any other adverse effects. 
As far as levels of arsenic, just kind of uh, in the body, chronic exposure levels, people typically range between 0.1 to 0.5 milligrams per kilogram. And somebody who's kind of had an acute toxicity where they've been exposed to a, a lot of arsenic in a short range of time, usually one to three uh, milligrams per kilogram. So it's a pretty significant jump. So you should be able to tell if you get lab work back, if they've been acutely exposed, or if you have somebody who's probably chronically exposed to it. Interestingly enough, you can do x-rays. Um, abdominal x-rays can actually demonstrate, sometimes you'll find in the intestines, uh, you'll find little metallic flecks in arsenic ingestion. Other lab work to look at, you want to look at blood work. You want to see if there's any kind of issue with anemia, with uh, red blood cell loss. You want to look at white blood cells as well because there can be issues there. Uh, chemistry levels, so you always want to check your electrolytes. Um, with these, some of these life-threatening arrhythmias that happen, these can be electrolyte issues. With that uh, torsades, um, the actual the remedy for that is magnesium. So, and I've actually seen it Essentially, you have somebody in torsades who's kind of uh, about to arrest, going to a cardiac arrest, and you pump up full of magnesium, and they go back into just a normal sinus rhythm. And then, depending on what's causing them to have the torsades, when the magnesium wears off, they go back into it. It's crazy. Anyway, uh, so you want to make sure that all their chemistry values, all their electrolytes uh, are up to snuff. This will also kind of show you uh, any kidney issues with kidney enzymes and liver enzymes. Uh, urinalysis, it might show protein or blood in the urine depending on if they're having kidney issues. Uh, patients, like I said, who are hospitalized should be in the ICU for this. Uh, they should really be on some kind of a monitor just to make sure that uh, they're not having any weird arrhythmias going on. So let's say you're one of these people, you've had acute exposure, you're in the hospital, what's the treatment? What can you do to help me? So the uh, kind of the first line is called chelation therapy. So chelation's pretty cool. Uh, Usually shown to improve outcomes if it's started relatively quickly after exposure, uh, especially for acute cases. So chelation therapy, specifically, it's a, it's a therapy to remove heavy metals by administrating these agents that will actually bind the metal. And once they're bound, you end up excreting them. <clears throat> so it's kind of more effective uh, when they use it in combination with antioxidants as well. So you have antioxidants to help kill free radicals. And then you also have these chelating agents to kind of bind whatever heavy metal it is to help you. Excellent! Uh, properties for an ideal chelating agent. You want to have something that's highly soluble. Um, you want it to have high cell permeability so it can actually help to excrete from the cell. Uh, you want it to be able to bind most toxic heavy metals. And you want uh, highly affected by oral and IV routes. So depending on how sick the patient is. And then you also want to have something that has a high rate of elimination. You don't want something that's going to take a while to, you know, usually they're peed out, usually go up to the kidneys. So there are a few of them that are used in arsenic. Uh, there's one called British anti-lewisite, which is commonly used. And there's another one called dimer sulfonic acid, or DMPS. And that's also used. With this chelation therapy, uh, the goal is after 24, 24-hour urine specimens, you want it to have less than 50 micrograms per liter. So essentially, that's kind of what you're treating for. Um, you would do chelation therapy until you've achieved that goal. Uh, as far as other kind of treatments, you're really treating uh, supportively here. So for different kind of symptoms that you'll find, 
obviously for the cardiac abnormalities, um, like I mentioned before, uh, depending on if they have these really dangerous arrhythmias, you may need anything from that magnesium for torsades or amiodarone, which is another antiarrhythmic drug. Uh, and sometimes, you know, if they go into cardiac arrest, you'll have to defibrillate them. Uh, hopefully it doesn't get to that point. Uh, you should also avoid using any kind of drugs that might kind of increase what's called the QT prolongation. Uh, as far as non-medical people go, it's just certain drugs will affect the heart and kind of just the, the length of the heart, the electrical conduction of the heart. So you want to avoid anything that's going to mess with that, especially in situations where you're having issues um, with these arrhythmias that are QT prolonged. Electrolytes, you want to get back electrolytes as you need it, potassium, calcium, magnesium. Um, make sure they're within normalism limits, normal lizards. Uh, any kind of neuro effects. If you have somebody who's having seizures, um, benzodiazepines, um, anesthesia if needed, you can put it in, you can intubate them if it's easier to manage that way. Uh, as far as people who have ingested arsenic uh, into their stomach, uh, there's not really any great data to support uh, like activated charcoal, which you can give to people, uh, or to have a gastric lavage, just to kind of get everything up and out of the stomach. Um, I guess with charcoal, it's kind of a consideration with co-ingestion. Uh, gastric lavage, this kind of a case-by-case -case basis, I think this goes back just to the x-ray. Uh, if your x-ray can confirm there's a large amount of ingested toxin, then it might be worthwhile to try and get it out with a gastric lavage. As far as arsine gas, treatments for that, uh, well, there's no antidote. Um, chelation therapy cannot uh, work for this. It's not effective. Uh, arsine poisoning, um, I mean, this you're kind of, like I said, you're, you're supportively treating. This is a, you know, it's hemolytic, so your blood count's going to drop, so you'll probably be giving blood back, um, giving fluids, uh, electrolyte replacement, um, like just really aggressive care to help keep blood pressure up, uh, keep fluids in the body. Uh, as far as uh, sometimes kidney failure happens, dialysis is definitely a consideration for that if need be, uh, if you go into kidney failure. Uh, and then just kind of advanced supportive care to try and get somebody through that. So what about the prognosis? What kind of prognosis is there? As I said before, even with the like, kind of diagnosis and signs and symptoms, it's kind of vague. So the prog prognosis for arsenic toxicity is variable. It depends on the type of arsenic, the amount of arsenic, uh, length of exposure to it. So uh, as I stated before, with arsenic gas, depending on how much you took in, it you know, it's highly, you know, it can be highly fatal. Whereas with other forms of ingested arsenic, maybe not so bad. So, oh, I do, all right, so I do have this. So I do have the, the lethal exposure doses. So for lethal, lethal exposure doses of inorganic arsenic are about 0.6 milligrams per kilogram. Um, the lethal doses that result in death, usually about one to four days after ingestion. So anything over 0.6 milligrams per kilogram of arsenic, if you've ingested that, there's a high probability of death, um, you know, one to four days afterwards. So, I, okay, good, I thought I had that. As far as arsenic gas, uh, I mentioned that before, you know, inhalation, anything over 10 parts per million is lethal, um, 25 parts per million, about an hour, and then 250 parts per million is almost instantaneous, so. So let's talk about lethality, let's talk about mortality, let's talk about our death count. So per the WHO, 
Um, it was hard to find an exact number. You can't really find an exact number of people who died per year uh, of arsenic toxicity. But uh, the WHO did estimate that in Bangladesh, about 24,000 people will die each year from arsenic toxicity. So if we take this data, we take the population of Bangladesh, which is 169 million, uh, estimate that worldwide, the WHO said it could be up to 220 million people are possibly exposed to toxic levels. Then we can kind of crunch that and then crunch that data, crunch those numbers, and we get a possible death total of about 33,000 deaths per year attributed from arsenic toxicity. So much higher than if you asked me when I started this, if I thought there would be that, uh, that many deaths. So let's start with that number. So 33,000 per year. Let's go back, let's just say, you know, industry, especially in a lot of these countries, hasn't been happening that long, so maybe there hasn't been as much environmental exposure or industrial exposure. Let's just go back 100 years. Uh, we'll go 100 years at 33,000 deaths per year. Uh, that's a total of about 3.3 million deaths over the last 100 years from arsenic. So, as we like to do here, um, just to kind of... Uh, show people just how deadly some of these uh, pathogens, and in this case, how much you know, how deadly arsenic poisoning can be. We want to take our dead bodies and try and either stack them to the moon, see how many times we can reach the top of the Empire State Building, or wrap them around the Earth. So as usual, we take our average height of 5 foot 5 inches, we'll multiply that by 3.3 million, and then we get uh, 17,875,000 feet, or 3,385 miles. So if we're trying to get to the moon, so the moon's 238,900 miles away, we would actually only get about 1.4% of the way there with our little arsenic bodies here. Uh, if we were trying to reach the top of the Empire State Building, which is 1,454 feet high, we could actually reach the top of the Empire State Building 1,200, 293 times. Or sorry, 12,293 times. If we want to try and wrap our dead around the Earth, which is 24,900 miles in circumference, we'd get about 14% of the way there. So, uh, you know, pretty good amount. Pretty, Like I said, far more significant than I thought. Uh, I didn't realize arsenic toxicity and arsenic poisoning was, a, you know, I should say just toxicity in general was an issue uh, with groundwater. Uh, especially in a lot of these more underdeveloped areas. So it's uh, interesting, a little bit eye-opening. I'm, I'm curious to see exactly where uh, lead poisoning leads me, because I know that lead poisoning is still an issue as well, uh, which is surprising. But, uh, but that's kind of arsenic in a nutshell right there. Um, oh, I do want to do this. So there have been, so obviously, like I said before, we think of arsenic poisoning, people usually think, uh, you know, people who have been murdered and it's nefarious, which is true. So I do want to talk about just some notable arsenic poisonings that have happened. Um, some recent, some not so recent. Uh, so let's start, we'll, we'll, we'll go back in time a little bit. We'll go back to the 16th century and start there. Uh, Francesco Il de Medici was the Grand Duke of Tuscany in the 16th century. Uh, he and his wife were actually poisoned. Um, thought is by his brother, uh, Ferdinando, uh, with arsenic. Uh, Eric the Fourteenth of Sweden also in the 16th century. He was actually in prison towards the end of his life quite a bit, um, and he was actually fed, his final meal was a poison bowl of pea soup, poisoned with arsenic. Theodore Yersinus, who is uh, 
18th century. He was a high-ranking Prussian civil servant and justice official. He was poisoned by his wife with arsenic. Probably the most famous but unconfirmed uh, is Napoleon Bonaparte. So it's been thought that Napoleon, uh, they thought that he died of arsenic poisoning uh, while he was imprisoned on the island of St. Helena. Uh, I guess, though, they've done some research on this, and it's kind of up in the air. Because the amount that, uh, when they exhumed his body and tested his hair, uh, they found that uh, the amount in there could have been from acute poisoning. At the same time, the time period he lived in and the surroundings that he had... Uh, copper arsenite was really commonly used as a pigment in wallpapers, and uh, he was exposed to a lot of other possible arsenic sources. So it's still up in the air whether or not Napoleon was actually poisoned by arsenic, or if he died naturally and just happened to have high levels of arsenic in his body. Charles Francis Hall, uh, 19th century American explorer. He actually, <coughs> excuse me. He was one of these guys who went to the Arctic uh, on polar expeditions. And then on his third expedition after returning, uh, he wound up getting really sick after drinking like a cup of coffee. He got really ill. He kind of, uh, he blamed his crew, including the physician who was on board. Uh, and then he started to feel better after a few days. They got back to land and then he got sick again, uh, suffered the same symptoms and then died uh, and was taken ashore for burial. Uh, the Navy who he had been working for just, they didn't really think anything of it, uh, but then he was exhumed and they found that he had actually, this is many, many years later, uh, was exhumed and found that he had actually died from arsenic poisoning, so his crew wound up poisoning this guy, so he must not have been a great captain. Uh, Gangzhu, who was an emperor in the 19th century uh, in China, he was also poisoned. Uh, the thought is that his suspects included his dying aunt uh, and her strongman. So, Far Lap. Far Lap was actually a racehorse. So, uh, this is back in the 1930s. Uh, and it was found to, that uh, at the time they weren't really sure why this horse had died. But uh, 75 years after the, the horse's death, they uh, exhumed the horse and found that there was a massive dose of arsenic that he was given before his death. There was also uh, in the 1930s King Faisal of Iraq. Uh, he had been in Switzerland the day before. He was uh, in great health. And then he had, uh, I guess this one's also not really confirmed, but thought that uh, he was uh, poisoned while he was there. More recently, Anderson Mazoka. So Anderson Mazoka was a opposition leader in Zambia. Uh, and their health deteriorated uh, after the 2001 presidential elections. Uh, repeatedly accused the government actually of poisoning him uh, his daughter who uh, he died in May 2006 confirmed that arsenic was actually found in his body after he died from uh, kidney complications so also recently you have Munir Said Talib I hope I pronounced that right uh, and this person was an Indonesian human rights and anti-corruption activist and they were poisoned with arsenic uh, while they were on a flight from Jakarta to Amsterdam and this is back in 2004. Uh, I guess after they died, let's see, there was three times the, the lethal dose was found. Uh, so uh, there was a, let's see, they did find the murderer. So Polycarpus Budulari Pirmaru, who was a pilot at the time, was found guilty of murder. 
And there's also Emerson Nangagwa, uh, so Robert Mugabe's successor uh, as president of Zimbabwe. Uh, he claimed he was actually poisoned with arsenic at a rally. And he suggested that his uh, supporters of Mugabe were actually responsible. And there's Joyce Moriku. And Joyce, Joyce Moriku was a Ugandan minister of primary health care. Uh, she actually didn't die, but uh, she did find out that uh, like South African laboratories confirmed that she had arsenic in her body from somewhere, so somebody was trying to kill her. Uh, there were also a couple of Indian... Uh, Tapan Mirsa, who was an Indian scientist. Uh, in 2017, uh, he was attacked by arsenic. He was a director of Space Application Center in India Space Research. And then Vikram Sarabhai was an Indian physicist and astronomer who initiated space research and helped develop nuclear power in India. Uh, I guess somebody mixed arsenic in his food. So plenty of, uh, plenty of cases of arsenic being used to poison people. Um, didn't really see a lot in this country, thankfully, uh, but definitely around the world and going back in history. So there's arsenic for you, folks. Uh, once again, I thank you for listening. Uh, if you have any suggestions, any feedback, please let me know. Um, you can reach me by email at youmakemesickpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at makemesickpod. Uh, as always, uh, taking suggestions, uh, critiques, anything else you want to throw out there. Uh, hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, I want to thank all my new listeners as well. Um, slowly but surely, just uh, gaining momentum here. So want to thank everybody for listening, uh, all my new Twitter followers as well. I appreciate it. I uh, hope you guys are all doing well. Uh, I will be back soon with lead for our next segment of Heavy Metal Toxicity. Excellent! All right, everybody. Take care and remember, wash your hands. them french fried potatoes it rubs the lotion on its skin it does this whenever it's told